Please take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 8. As we come to hear God's Word this morning, we are continuing in our series in this glorious chapter, Romans 8. We come to verses 18 through 25 this morning. So hear God's Word. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray again and ask him to help us as we study his word. Father, would you help us as newborn babes to long for the pure milk of the word? Would you come and help us to hunger, to thirst, to taste, and to see that you are good, good in the past, good in the present, good in the future? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies that came out back in 2001 through 2003, uh, then you know how amazing the cinematography was in those films. And, and one of the most uh, unique and, and striking features that, that stood out was this. Uh, to make this movie work, director Peter Jackson had to uh, portray the hobbits as author J.R.R. Tolkien had originally intended them to be, a lot smaller than the normal-sized humans that were in the story. And, and Jackson did this uh, not by using short actors or, or CGI, uh, computer animation, right? but by using a, a physical visual effect called force perspective. You've probably done something like this. If you've ever taken a picture uh, with a, a tall building in the background where you put your fingers over the building, it looks like you're holding the building between your thumb and your forefinger, right? Or, or the moon, you put your fingers around the moon. Well, that same sort of thing is what Jackson did. He would take the actors and he would uh, do the math and he would position them uh, offset from one another on the screen or, or there in real life. And then he would position the cameras in just the right way so that when you looked at the movie screen, the perspective looked like one actor was very, very short and one actor was very, very tall. He was able to make what was actually big appear very small. Well, in our text this morning, the Apostle Paul is doing something very similar. He's doing the spiritual math for us, so to speak, uh, to give us not a forced perspective, not an optical illusion, but the right perspective on something far more serious than actors or props or tall buildings. Right? He's giving us the right perspective on our suffering. But he does it in the opposite direction than Peter Jackson did it, doesn't he? Right? Peter Jackson made what was big appear small. Paul, in our text, shows us that what appears to be big 
is actually very small by comparison. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now you remember back in verse 17, Paul has just told us that, that suffering with Jesus is a prerequisite for being glorified with Jesus. But because suffering is in our face, it's, it's right on top of us, it seems really big, really weighty, really long. It seems so much worse than any possible glory could be good. And yet, what Paul tells us here in verse 18 is that the opposite is true. The opposite is true. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, there is no comparison at all between your suffering and the glory that will be revealed to you on the last day. The glory to come is so much better than your suffering is bad. Your trials, your tribulations, your afflictions, your difficulties, they are light and momentary, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, compared to the eternal weight of glory that is to be ours when Jesus returns, our heavenly inheritance. What seems so big today is actually very small by comparison. The way that a, a 10,000 square foot house, which seems so big, but if you were to compare it to the Biltmore house, right, which is 175,000 square feet, 17 and a half 10,000 square foot houses, it's small by comparison. Now maybe you're thinking, yes, but a 10,000 square foot is still, a 10,000 square foot house is still really, really big. And you're right, our, our suffering is still weighty. It feels weighty. It is painful. It is difficult. It is hard. And Paul is telling us here in this text that the, the only way to endure it is to make his perspective your own. To make his perspective on the smallness of suffering and the bigness of glory your own. And to keep that perspective before you as you walk through affliction and as you wait for the glory to come. So how do we make Paul's perspective our own? How do we keep Paul's perspective our own? Well, Paul tells us in this text, it's, it's two things that we need to do. First, we need to listen to the groaning of creation. And secondly, we need to listen to the groaning of our own hearts. Let's look at those two things this morning. First, listen to the groaning of creation in verses 19 to 22, Paul helps us to get the right perspective on our suffering and the glory to come by first pointing us to creation, to the non-rational, the non-personal creation, whether animate or inanimate, right? The animals, the plants, the, the mountains and rocks, the heavenly bodies, the earth and the sea and everything that is in them, whether it's made by God or even made by man. Just like the Old Testament authors often do, Paul here personifies this creation. He describes it as groaning together in the pains of childbirth, waiting with eager longing now in the present because God had subjected it to futility, Paul says, in the past in hope with a view to its, its entering into our freedom, our glory in the future. So past and, and present and future, Let, let's think about these in a, in a little bit different order to help make some sense of what's going on in this passage. Uh, first, the past. 
In verse 20, Paul tells us that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. The him there is God. God was the one who subjected the creation to futility, to frustration, to a a transitory and, and purposeless state. The word that Paul uses here uh, futility is the same word used in the Greek translation of the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 1, vanity of vanity, right? futility of futilities. Paul is looking back not, not only to the book of Ecclesiastes here, but also to the book of Genesis, of course. Right? When Adam sinned and when God judged not only Adam and Eve, but even the whole cosmos as well, the whole creation, right? futility set in, futility was brought to bear in all the world. Death came into the world, not just for humanity, but for the whole created order. The the ground that was supposed to grow fruit for the good of of man and beast, that ground was cursed so that now it would grow thorns and thistles as well. Corruption and decay entered into creation's experience. Entropy becomes hardwired as as a part of the system so that things fall apart. They break, they decompose, they disintegrate and decay. They don't work the way they should work. They don't function the way they are originally created to function. We've all experienced this, haven't we? Of something not working the way we want it to work. Even the creation kills and is killed. Nature is is red in tooth and claw, the way that the, the poet Alfred Lord Tennyson put it. That is, it is is given over to this predatory, vengeful nature. Even water and wind destroy homes and and wreak havoc on lives as well. We've seen it even again this week in, in Florida and South Carolina. What is this? This is the futility of creation. Because God had subjected it to this futility. Every time your car breaks down, right? Every time something in your house needs to be repaired or your phone's battery dies day after day, right? every time something falls apart or doesn't work the way it's supposed to work, you are experiencing what Paul is talking about here in verse 20. But then in verse 21, Paul tells us that God subjected the, the, the creation to futility with an eye to the future. Look at what he, he writes in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, God consigned the whole creation to the the misery of slavery with the design of an ultimate deliverance from that slavery. And this liberation of the creation is precisely the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation around us is going to share in the glory that will be revealed to us, Paul is saying. Everything that creation suffers now because of what Adam did in the Garden of Eden, it's all going to be done away with. Everything will be made the way it was supposed to be. Everything will be made new. In our final liberation, Paul is saying, the curse will be removed from all creation. Creation itself will be freed from every effect of sin, from every misery. Creation itself will finally function the way God designed it to function. All creation will partake in what Jesus says in Matthew 19, verse 28, is the regeneration, or what Peter in Acts 3, verse 21 says, is the restoration of all things. Everything 
will be transformed and made new. And because of this future hope, Paul says that the creation does something even now in the present. Verse 19, he writes, The creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Verse 22, the creation groans together in the pains of childbirth even until now. You see, the creation cannot wait for the day to come when those who are the children of God are revealed to be such. And all the glory of our inheritance is given to us. For on that day, the creation also will share in this glory, in this freedom. And while it looks forward to that day to come, while it longs for it with an eager expectation, Paul says that it expresses this longing and this this desire and its suffering in a symphony of groaning and sighing. It groans like a woman in childbirth in the agony of, of labor. But notice the beauty of that picture. It's, it's pain is ultimately the pain of, of childbirth, Paul says. It's not a vain pain. It's not a pointless pain or a meaningless pain. But it's a fruitful pain. It's a hopeful pain. It's a pain that ushers forth into new life. Isn't it ironic that God made the pain of, of childbirth, which in and of itself is a part of the original curse from Genesis chapter 3, but God has made this very pain to be a picture and a pointer to the restoration and the renewal and the regeneration of all things in the new heavens and the new earth. Every mother in labor, every first cry of a newborn baby, it not only points us to the agonies of the fall, but it points us to the glories of the new creation to come. Now, husbands, I, I don't think it's wise for you to remind your wife of that or your daughter of that in the middle of a, a long contraction, right? Honey, this is amazing. This is exactly what Paul was talking about in Romans 8. But Paul does want us to listen to the groaning of creation in the present, to to remember what God has done in the past and to hear the hope of what he will do in the future. Because as we see God's plan and the suffering and the liberation from suffering that creation experiences, Paul is saying we are able to keep our own suffering in perspective. We're able to see it as not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we are able to endure it with an eager expectation of the freedom to come, a freedom that even the creation itself will partake in with us. So first, we need to to listen to the groaning of creation. But secondly, Paul says we need to listen to the groaning of our own hearts. See, not only does the creation groan and, and sigh because of its suffering, look at verse 23. Paul recognizes, he affirms that we groan too. He writes, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In this life, in this present age, in the here and now, we suffer. And often our suffering is grievous. It's loss, it's pain, it's agony. We live in a time when the glory to be revealed to us has not yet been revealed to us. The revealing of the sons of God, verse 19, has not yet happened. Verse 21, we have not yet obtained the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And, And so we groan, we sigh, we lament inwardly and even sometimes outwardly. And we do this 
all the more because we have a foretaste of the glory to come. And Paul here points out that foretaste in two different ways. You see, Paul writes that we have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you remember back in the Old Testament how the law of Moses commanded the children of Israel to offer to the Lord the first fruits of their harvest, the first sheaves of, of wheat that had been gathered as a way of acknowledging that, that God is the one who would provide the whole harvest, right? That, in, in a way of giving this token to the Lord of, of the fullness that would, would come to him in due time. Well, here Paul takes that, that image and sort of flips it on its head. Rather than, than standing for what we give to God, Paul uses it to refer to what God gives to us, or, or better, whom God gives to us. We have received the outpoured Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, as we've seen these past weeks from Romans 8. But now Paul is telling us, yes, you've received the Spirit, but only the first fruits of the Spirit. The presence of the Spirit that we have now dwelling in our hearts is only the first installment of the glory and the grace that is to come to us. In other places in Paul's letters, he, he uses the, the image of, of earnest money. Right? If you ever bought a house, you know, you've got to you know, put down some earnest money. Right? That, that earnest money is the, the, the down payment, the, the pledge, the guarantee of the fullness that is to come. Right? The Spirit is that earnest, that pledge. All the riches of the glory that Paul has spoken about here in this letter, Romans 8 and beyond, all of this, we have a foretaste of it in the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts. All of this is merely a foretaste of the fullness of the Spirit that we will receive on the last day. And then he uses a second image here. He speaks of our adoption as sons and daughters. And he says that even in our adoption, we have but a foretaste. Did you notice in verse 23 that Paul says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body? And you think, wait a minute, Paul. You've just said in the verses right before this that we're already children of God. We're already sons and daughters of God. We already have the privileges and the realities that come with being indwelt by the spirit of adoption as sons. And that's true. That is a, a reality for us. But, but here in verse 23, Paul says that there's an aspect of our adoption that we don't have yet. There's an aspect of our adoption that is, is still to come. And it's related to the, the resurrection of our body. Right? Part of being adopted as a son or a daughter of God is that one day we will fully experience that adoption. We will fully enjoy that adoption when we receive a new body from the Lord, when, when our fallen bodies, when our finite and, 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 and faltering bodies, these bodies that are breaking down day by day, when they are made new and are transformed into likeness with Jesus' glorious body. We have our adoption of sons, and we don't yet have it. And the, the, even the foretaste of the fullness to come, the foretaste of being even now the children of God, that assures us as we suffer that the fullness is coming. You see here in verse 23, Paul is reminding us that we live the Christian life between the times as it were. Right? In the midst of our suffering and our present difficulties, we groan and we sigh and we do so all the more because of the blessings that we already enjoy as God's children 
and dwelt by the Spirit. You see, what we have in, in the Spirit, in our adoption, is real, it is true, but it is not everything that we will have on the last day. And so because that we know there is something better awaiting us, we groan and we sigh for the whole thing, for the fullness to come. And that very groaning itself is a sign that the full freedom that we have will come on the last day in Jesus Christ. And so Paul calls us to listen to the groaning of creation and to the groaning of our own hearts. And as you do this, as you listen to the sighing of your own heart, the, the longing for the suffering to end and for glory to be revealed, you will be able to keep Paul's perspective here of the, the smallness of suffering and the bigness of glory always before you as you walk through affliction, as you wait for the glory that is to come. You'll be able to have the correct posture as you suffer. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verses 24 and 25. Paul writes, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, the posture that Paul would have us to exhibit in suffering is a posture of, of waiting, of eager expectation, of eager longing. It's the posture that, that you've had if you've ever been at a surprise party waiting for someone whose birthday it is to, to show up at their house. Right? And you're waiting, you're, you're, on the, you're on your tippy toes, aren't you? You are longing for them to come through that door so that you can jump out and, and yell surprise. There's an anticipation. There's a desire for your unseen friend to, to walk in. You're leaning forward. You're, you're, you're excited about what is to happen. Right? You're desiring for that moment to come. Well, though the illustration breaks down, yet it points us to the way that we are to wait. Right? The posture of hope, a posture of eager expectancy. But Paul also says we have a posture of, of patience, don't we? We wait for it with patience. And this word patience doesn't merely mean a quiet acceptance as, as much as, it, as Paul is referring to an enduring perseverance. A patience that endures, a constancy in the face of trial, undismayed in spite of our difficulties because of the glory for which we are waiting. We're called to wait with perseverance. Sometimes we get so eager for what is to come that we grow impatient, right? We, we grow dissatisfied with God's timing. Sometimes we grow so patient right, that we lose the eagerness. We lose the, the expectation. We grow apathetic about the new world that is to come. God wants us to avoid both of these ditches as we wait. He wants us to be eager to be expectant and to endure, to be persevering, to know that God is going to fulfill his word. Isn't that even why he's given us the Lord's table that we gather around this morning? May God, by his grace, enable us to listen well to the groaning of creation, to listen well to the groaning within our own hearts, to have this posture of hope and a posture of perseverance as we suffer, as we keep this perspective that suffering is small compared to the bigness of the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for what you have 
assured us of here in this text. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us this foretaste, this first fruits of the Spirit, the reality of our adoption as sons, Lord, so that we might be those who long to have it in full. Well, Lord, would you be pleased to open our ears that we might hear how the creation groans, that we might hear the groaning of our own hearts and the hearts of our brothers and sisters around us, even of our neighbors who don't know Christ. Lord, the groaning, the longing in the midst of suffering, but for us who belong to Jesus, it's a, a groaning and a longing for what we know will come, the glory to be revealed to us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to wait well, to wait with listening ears. Lord, give us what Paul has for us here in this text, what you have ordained for us to hear from your appointed apostle. Lord, we ask that you would help us to suffer in hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.